0: Also today, um, Dr. David Eubanks and his wife, Margaret, are with us. Margaret's actually in a class right now with my wife, Danita. But I want to tell you about Dr. Eubanks. He and Margaret have been married for 59 years, and that's pretty cool, isn't it? Right off the bat. Uh, He has been a professor and the president of Johnson University, Tennessee, uh, for over 49 years. The last two years, Uh, he serves in senior leadership with Johnson University, Florida, but I've known Dr. Eubanks now for over 26 years, and I was 14 years old when I became a Christian. Sign sealed, going to Purdue, pretty dramatic call into the ministry. I'm 18 years old, and the Lord called me to become a preaching minister at 18. And so I looked for all these different schools that would train me. I did not know the Bible. We didn't go to Sunday school. I wasn't a kid involved with the scriptures and so all of a sudden now, I'm, I'm going to go to a Bible college, and this was the best one of all to prepare you for the preaching ministry. And so Dr. Eubanks is a friend, a professor, a president, a statesman, a patriot, a leader. Um, and also, I just want you to know, he has seen um, videos of our beach baptisms. And he talks about our beach baptisms. Our beach baptisms have become famous all over the country. Everywhere he goes, he tells people these stories. So would you welcome Dr. David Eubanks?
1: Thank you, Kurt, and thank you for giving me and my wife, Margaret, the opportunity to come to Harborside and worship with you this uh, Sunday morning. Uh, we 're very proud of Kurt uh, and uh, Danita and uh, their leadership uh, in the church here and uh, their wonderful service uh, all the years that they 've been uh, been together uh, also uh, I might say that uh, we know we know uh, danita 's family uh, all the way uh, back before she and uh, uh, and uh, Kurt were ever born uh, danita 's uh, mother graduated with my wife from Johnson uh, Bible College in 1955 and Danita's father graduated with me in 1957. So we go back uh, a long, long way. Uh, as Kurt told you, I was the president of Johnson Bible College for 38 and a half years, uh, retired in 2007. Uh, and uh, two years ago uh, I was asked to come out of retirement because uh, Florida Christian College was in a state of crisis, and uh, the trustees and uh, the uh, uh, administration and faculty had appealed to Johnson University to come down and merge Florida Christian College into Johnson University, and that merger is complete, and we're moving ahead uh, all in one uh, university with a campus in Knoxville, a campus in Florida uh, over at Kissimmee, and a campus online virtual campus as well. But our mission remains the same. And that's for all campuses. And that is, our mission is to educate students for Christian ministries. That would be preaching, youth ministry, children's ministry, worship ministry, mission, so forth, and other strategic vocations, some others, framed by the Great Commission, all of it, has the Great Commission in mind to extend The kingdom of God among all people. So, our mission is your mission, and your mission is our mission. We're all in it together for the glory of God. Come over and visit us at Kissimmee. I have a uh, booth back here, and I'd be glad to visit with you after the service. I came here to preach, and I want to preach to you this morning on a subject that touches the lives uh, of every person in this building if it hadn't touched you yet it will touch you if you live long enough and that is hardship and trouble now some people have the idea that when you become a Christian you won't have any more trouble you won't have any hardship everything will be sunshine and smooth water but you know I think and I know that's not so by experience and it's not taught In the scripture. Jesus our Lord was crucified and all of his apostles were martyred except one and he was exiled in prison on the Isle of Patmos. No the Bible does not teach that if you serve the Lord you won't have trouble and you won't have hardship but what the Bible does teach is that when hardship comes God will see you through. God will not only see you through. God will give you victory over hardship and trouble. Now that truth is taught all over the New Testament. But the part of it that I like the best is found in the middle of Romans chapter 8. And it goes like this. His spirit, God's spirit, bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, notice the context. The context is suffering. If we suffer with Him, we shall also be glorified together with Him. In fact, Paul says, I am persuaded. That all the sufferings of this present world cannot be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Skipping a verse or two, he goes on to write, for we are saved in hope. Not anything you can see. If you could see it, it wouldn't be hope. But if we hope for that which we do not see, then with patience we wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. Now, from this text, I find three sources of victory that God gives us in suffering and hardship and trouble. And the first one is hope in the glory of God hope in the glory of God Paul says if we suffer with Christ we shall also be glorified together with Him in glory that's the object of our hope and the writer of Hebrews says hope is the anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. Now, I grew up in the hills of East Tennessee. We've got some rather large lakes created by the TVA in our area, but I never spent much time on the lakes. I, I, I'm not a fisherman. I don't know much about boats. Now, you folk, on the other hand, you've got boats everywhere. You've got ships and boats, they're all over the place. But I know what an anchor's for. I know that when a boat or a ship comes into harbor, into the pier, into the dock, you throw the anchor over. Why do you do it? Well, so when the tide comes in, the tide goes out and the wind blows and the storm comes, the ship stays steady. In fact, I've been told that even out on the high seas, In a time of storm, occasionally they throw the anchor over to steady the ship. Well, let me tell you something, folks. You and I face occasionally some high seas, some storms. And when those storms come, what is our anchor? The Bible says our anchor is hope. Hope is the anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. Now, the problem we make about hope, there are two problems. Number one, we don't think about it often enough, and we don't talk about it often enough. We don't share it with one another enough. And then when we do, we generally reserve it for the old folks, like me, because we're the nearest to the object of it, you know. But I'm here to tell you this morning... That the whole church needs hope. It's not just old people that have hardship and trouble. Everybody, sooner or later, faces trouble. Do you know what the number two killer of teenagers is in America today? Now, if I had spoken here 10 years ago, it would have been number one. But number one is now drugs. But number two is suicide. Teenagers taking their own lives because they have nothing to live for, no hope. I can go lower than teen. My friends, even small children sometimes face trouble. There are small children that have faced troubles that 40-year-old people have never faced. Everybody needs hope. You've all heard of Max Lucado, haven't you? He's probably one of the two or three best-known religious writers in the world. And in one of his early books, years ago, Dr. Lacato wrote a story, told a true story about a missionary family in Brazil. Their name was Hoffman. They had a six-year-old son, young six-year-old boy, first grader. One day he came down with a high fever. His mother knew it was critical. She said to her husband, get the car. We got to rush Matthew to the hospital fast. So he brought the car around. She bundled Matthew in her arms. She got in the car and they raced toward the hospital. And As they went, Matthew threw out his arm. His mother pulled it back. He threw out his arm. His mother pulled it back. He threw out his arm. His mother pulled it back and finally she said, Matthew, what are you reaching for? He said, Mama, I'm reaching for the hand of Jesus. Mama, I'm reaching for the hand of Jesus. Those were the last words Matthew Hoffman spoke on this earth. He died the next day in that Brazilian hospital of bacterial meningitis, never having spoken another word except mother. I'm reaching for the hand of Jesus. Even a six-year-old boy can be sustained by hope in the glory of God. But there's more. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, one of the newer translations says, groanings too deep for words. Now, I freely confess to you that I do not understand everything that Scripture says. The Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray for as we ought, with groanings too deep for words. I know this, I know it's not anything you see because you can't see the Spirit. And I know it's not anything you hear because groanings that are too deep for words cannot be heard. Some way or another, we can be in a hard time and not know what to pray for as we want, struggling. And the Holy Spirit goes to God on our behalf and gives us help in time of trouble. I became the president of Johnson Bible College in January of 1969. I handed out diplomas to students that walked across the stage uh, in May of that year. Among those students that I handed a diploma to was a young man from Palmetto, Florida. I actually had known him before he was born. His father and I were baptized together when I was 14 years old. But he had come to Johnson, and we loved him. He worked in our home. He took care of our children while we were away sometimes, my wife and I. And I was so pleased to hand him his diploma. A few weeks after that, I preached his ordination sermon. And a few weeks after that, I performed a wedding ceremony for him and his wife. And they went off to Illinois for him to go to seminary at Lincoln Christian Seminary and uh, uh, to preach in a little town called Walshville, Illinois. And then February of 1970 came. A few months later, we always have our homecoming, alumni, homecoming, preaching rally. And Edward was anxious to get back. Catherine couldn't come with him because she was teaching school. But he was bringing four high school students, high school seniors, from Walshville to see if they wanted to go to school at Johnson. They never got to Johnson. Well, actually, two of those students became, two of those high school students that never got to Johnson that time eventually did become students and enrolled in school. But they didn't get to Johnson that time because early on a Monday morning before they ever got out of Illinois they rounded a curve and hit a patch of ice and the car went into a tree and Edward was critically injured he was taken to Effingham, Illinois to the hospital in a coma Catherine was called in the school and said your husband been in a terrible accident he's in a coma in Effingham Hospital. She got in her car and raced toward the hospital. When She walked into the hospital and met the doctor who was attending him. This is what the doctor told her. Said, Ms. Watts, I don't expect your husband to live the rest of the day, but if by some miracle he survives, he'll be a human vegetable the rest of his life. She said when the doctor told her that, she wanted to pray. And they had a room You know, the hospitals have those rooms, those little rooms where you go when some bad news has to be related. Sometimes it's good news, but sometimes it's bad news. I've been in those rooms in several hospitals over the years with people. The only problem on that day, there was nobody in the room. She went in that room and closed the door behind her. Now, I want you to get the picture. This is a 21-year-old woman, been married seven months, and the doctors just told her, I don't expect your husband to live the rest of the day, but if he does, he'll be a human vegetable the rest of his life. She said, I started to pray, but I didn't know what to pray for. I couldn't bring myself to pray for him to die, and I couldn't bring myself to pray for him to live like a human vegetable. And she said that in that dark hour, a great peace came over my spirit. As she remembered Scripture, and this is the Scripture she remembered, in our weakness, when we don't know what to pray for, as we ought, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And one verse later, Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. She said, I just turned it over to the Spirit. Now, uh, that, that afternoon he died. Two days later, I preached his funeral. He's buried on a high hill in Knoxville, Tennessee. I gave him his diploma. I preached his ordination sermon. I performed his wedding ceremony, and I preached his funeral in seven months, a lifetime in seven months. I want to tell you something. From that day to this day, that woman has lived a victorious Christian life. Now, she couldn't stay in Illinois. She moved back to Knoxville. She was my secretary for a year. And then she went to Zambia, Africa. She taught the Bible to African children for years. Then she went to Missouri, Good News Productions International, and served missionaries for years. Twenty years after his death, she married a preacher whose wife had died. And they've had a fantastic ministry for years and years. And she's spoken to people women's groups all over the United States and around the world and has been a powerhouse for God partly partly because she experienced victory in trouble and hardship through the intercession of the Holy Spirit and also and that brings me to my third source of victory also through the marvelous providence of God, the marvelous providence of God. Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. That's what it says in the old King James version of the Bible, which is, which is the version I memorized. In fact, I still memorize from the new King James because uh, even though it's got the obsolete words taken out. And, and, and replaced, it's still pretty close to what I learned a long time ago. Uh, but you might get the wrong idea from the way the King James translates that. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. You might get the idea that what Paul is saying is uh, you know, just hang in there and it'll all work out. You ever been told that? I have. that. that that's pretty good advice. You know, sometimes when you get all in a dither, best thing to do is relax. It'll work out. But that's not what Paul's saying in Romans 8.28. That's not what Paul's saying in Romans 8.28. Here is what the original language says. Much better, much closer. It says this. We know that in all things God is at work. God is working for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul is not saying things work out. Paul is saying that God works in all things for the good of them that love him. Now, Somebody might be pretty sharp out there, and say to me, "Are you trying to say to me say to me that God makes everything happen that happens?" No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I said. God does not make everything happen that happens. God did not cause ISIS to martyr those Christian men in those orange suits that we've all seen on television. In Egypt. Just recently. God is not making those people behead small children. Simply because they're Christians. God is not making them rape innocent women. Just because they're Christians. God does not do that. He allows the devil to cause people to do it, and that's all in God's hands, we're not God, it's all in God's hands, God does not, God did not, let me tell you something folks, God did not make those people crucify Jesus, God did not cause them to say, crucify, crucify, crucify. But God was working in it. And on the third day, he raised Jesus from the dead and brought the salvation of the world. Only God can do that. Only God can work in all things for the good of them that love him and are called according to his Purpose. I read one time about an old professor he was teaching long past retirement age because he was such a good teacher and because the students loved him and respected him so highly and on the day in which I re- he was a Bible teacher he was a, Bible. He was a teacher of the Bible on the day to which I refer he was teaching from Romans chapter 8 And he ended the class with Romans 8.28. He ended the class with these words. Those students left the classroom with these words ringing in their ears. We know that God works in all things for the good of them that love him and so forth. That afternoon he and his wife were involved in a Tragic automobile accident. In fact, his wife was killed instantly. And he was fatally injured. Before nightfall came, he would die. But immediately after the accident, he was alive and fully conscious. He knew his wife was dead. And he knew his condition was critical. Two ambulances came to the scene. The accident scene one of them to take his wife's body to the funeral home and the other to take him to the emergency room of the hospital. As they put put him on a stretcher and started to put him in the ambulance, he grabbed the arm of one of those ambulance attendants and he said, young man, would you do me a favor? And the young man said, I certainly will, mister. what is it you want? And this is what he said. Want you to listen to this? He said, "If I die this day, will you please get word to my student, my students, that Romans eight twenty eight still holds true? Get word to my students that Romans eight twenty eight still holds true. I still believe that God works in all things." for the good of them who love him. No, friends, I can't tell you that if you serve Jesus, you won't have trouble. But what I can tell you is that if you live by faith in him, he will see you through and he will give you victory. Through hope in his glory, through the intercession of his spirit, And through His marvelous providence to work in all things for the good, for your good, and all who love Him. God bless you all.